Welcome to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. My name is Fregel Barn. Every week I speak to leading sustainability thinkers and practitioners, scientists, economists, NGOs, business leaders and investors. We discuss the sustainability imperative, the key challenges, the latest thinking, and what's working in sustainability, resilience and regeneration. I'm very pleased today to welcome Professor Maisa Rocha to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. Maisa was the scientific coordinator for the COP25 Climate Summit and director of Chile's Center for Climate and Resilience Research. She's also associate professor at the Department of Geophysics at the University of Chile. Maisa's two main research areas are paleoclimate, the study of past climates, and regional climate change. Thank you very much for joining me today, Maisa, on the Sustainability Agenda podcast. Hello, thank you for the invitation. Now, you've been extremely busy, I know, over the last few weeks and probably longer, uh, particularly in the context of COP25. Can you maybe just for uh, listeners introduce yourself, talk a little bit about what you do and your background, and then we can maybe move and focus on um, the the uh, big, uh, exciting and dramatic uh, activities around COP25? Well, I'm a, I'm a climate scientist. I studied physics as an undergraduate, and I have a PhD in physics as well. And then I have uh, gradually moved more into climate, and I have done um, I have worked on loads of different topics actually for a long time. Um, I considered myself a paleoclimatologist, so studying uh, the long-term history of the climate on the planet. Uh, but I work with models, which means that I can study the past, the present, and, and the future. Since the beginning of this year, I'm director of a center uh, that's called Center for Climate and Resilience Research. And it is an interdisciplinary research center where there are climatologists, but we also have anthropologists, lawyers, economists, um, uh, etc. And uh, since the beginning of the year as well, I was asked to coordinate a scientific committee for COP25. Um, the role of this committee was and still is to provide input, uh, scientific input into the work of COP. Uh, that was then so directly towards uh, the actual event of the COP, but also a lot, and that's where we most uh, spent our energy in, um, into the national agenda that moved around the fact that Chile was hosting COP25. Right, right. Um, very interesting. Um, you, you, you mentioned this uh, interdisciplinary uh, group. Resilience. Why resilience and how important is resilience? Maybe just before we go on to the, the COP. <laughs> yes. So resilience has a number of, of definitions. Sort of the intuitive definition is when you perturb a system, uh, it, the system sort of bounces back to equilibrium. It sort of reaccommodates itself. And, and we see climate change as one big disturber of whatever our societies are are trying to do. And in, in the case of Chile and in the case of many other societies that are still in, in development, we are trying to deal at the same time with the inequalities, with poverty, with with the development in general. And and now we have climate change as a big sort of um, 
boundary condition that will increase and, and amplify all our vulnerabilities that we already have. So how do we develop a, a society? How do we understand and, and how we develop a society that becomes resilient and, and, and can do better in this context is critical. Now, that's very interesting because the, the COP, uh, location of the COP moved and moved from Chile. And you wrote about recently some of the conditions, uh, economic conditions and the inequality in Chile. Now, to what extent um, do you think that the conditions on the ground in Chile reflect some of the key themes and issues that we need to think about when we think about climate change? Mm. They are actually very much in, in, in the middle of this whole problem. Um, as, I, as I said in that article, I mean, it, many of the aspects that have been on the high-level demands are, are pension and access to uh, better salaries and access to better health and stuff like that, that you would not immediately um, connect to climate change. But um, we are here because we have constructed, we are here as, a, as, uh, as humanity, we have constructed a way of development that has brought uh, it has brought development. Yes, uh, there I'm, I'm sure that there, there are many indicators that have improved uh, throughout the last 150 years or so. Uh, but at the same time, it has been done um, with a huge consequences on our on our environment, and in, and in many countries, huge uh, consequences and divides between a small group of people who have gained all of those um, uh, things that we that, that, that we have developed and, and others that haven't. So it has been at the expense of loads of um, of people, of loads of regions, of of uh, parts of the society who have just not developed in the same way. Uh, that's sort of in the big picture with the global north and the global south, but between in countries as well or in cities as well. Our cities are in general also very unequal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, um, Chile has had a very uh, particular history with respect to I guess what some people call neoliberal economics, um, a very extreme form of economics and, and, and has a very extreme uh, Gini coefficient. Uh, inequality is very uh, significant in, 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 the, in the economy. Um, is that a, a big factor now in, in terms of what's happening on the ground, the consequences of that? Are, are there moves are people uh is i guess what you might call civil society or or any any part of society really getting to grips with this and, and trying to deal with this yes exactly that's what it is um uh so loads of accomplishments but all these accomplishments really concentrated in a very very small part uh, of the population and this is actually not the first time that we have had these um some some movement i mean uh, uh, i was just amazed by by seeing an extract of a tv programs back to 2011 huh? seven years ago eight years ago uh where we had some strikes as well they they were more focused on education but there was a lot of 
themes that were discussed there. And it was it's amazing to see that eight years ago you could see it and hang on, these are exactly the same topics that we are discussing now, which meant that so that there was a little crisis. Uh, some of the topics were picked up and, and somehow solved, but most of them weren't. And so this is just sort of a rebound of, uh, of the same demands. Uh, so we hope that with this level of crisis now that we we will be able to to really uh, tackle them in a profound way, not superficially anymore. Yes, yes. Um, now, COP25, what were your expectations as to what might be achieved? Can you give us a little bit of an overview of uh, what you expected and maybe uh, it's a lot to bite off, but one or two aspects of what you think was achieved. Yeah, I guess, so I'm, um, I have to say that I'm, I'm generally a very positive person. Uh, so I, I always see, so for example, with this crisis, I think oh, there's a lot of good things that are gonna come out if we, handled this well and and i guess with with this cop and and all of the cops really i mean or or let's they they well they they always deliver not enough but but i guess here i mean in the last two years there has been this for me and this is speaking as a climatologist there's been this incredibly amounting evidence that climate change is not something of the future anymore. It is so present. It is so now that we are living the consequences and the impacts um, that it just requires a very, very urgent and quick and ambitious uh, action. And and I mean, it's it is it is i don't know it's i mean we we started talking about climate emergency or climate urgency um, or climate crisis this year we 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 were not talking in these terms mainstream at least uh, even last year i would say so so there was really a need to move things quickly and as actually always happens things do not move quickly and and it just is it is just really, really frustrating. And um, it's really frustrating when you see that the parties, are they're called in that process, right? They, they, no one wants to move quickly. No one wants to uh, uh, address climate change with the urgency that is required. And, and everyone is just uh, looking at their own interests. Uh, and, and that is very, very frustrating to the point to the point that I I just don't know. I mean, I, I think they, the, the whole UN system is also in a crisis or multilateralism in the way that it was set up, I don't know, 70 years ago after the Second World War. It, it probably did a good job at some time, but now we have to think about different ways of governance and moving forward. Can you talk specifically about what your role involved and your, have you any insights into uh, what you learned by, through this group you were, you, were, you were coordinating? Yeah. So as I, as I said, the scientific committee, so we, um, we, we, 
we saw ourselves as a, having a mandate to what, provide input in, into the negotiation, into the COP, <coughs> with the science part in particular. But where we mostly, mostly worked was really on the national agenda. So uh, it, we Chile had a really uh, full national agenda going on at the same time as organizing the COP. So there was a discussion. So Chile committed to being carbon neutral by 2050. Uh, this was going to be included in a framework law on climate change. We were um, updating our NDC, our National Determined Contributions, ahead of 2020 to show ambition uh, and a number of other um, of, of of other issues as well, like um, updating our national adaptation plans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, so I would say that's that's where we mostly mostly concentrated uh, uh, our work, and and um, it was it was very interesting. It was uh, we I think we learned a lot, uh, but we have to now think how this all this effort can be institutionalized. Because so we were appointed like an ad hoc uh, committee for COP25. We identified all these things that I mentioned where we could uh, where we could um, uh, be of of help. So for example, the update of the NDC. Um, uh, but of course, it's the environmental ministry who has the mandate to actually update the NDC. So we we sort of knocked at their door and asked. Uh, Ooh, we we I think we can we can help here with evidence and we can help with uh, making this and they said yes sure uh, and we uh, but it, it was all sort of done on a voluntary basis and and not very clear how much our input was going to be included or not so uh, it had its pros and cons and uh, and I think. Uh, but but overall, I would say uh, very positive because also we and I'm saying here we were eight people in this committee. Um, we were able to call up on open up on the the scientific community in Chile, and we got response from over 600 scientists. And I tell you, if you had asked me last year how many scientists work in Chilean climate change, I would have said a hundred. I had no idea that there were so many people working on climate change in one and another way. And um, so that, that was an incredible uh, experience of being able to connect with all these people through workshops to uh, helping to... We, we wrote 19 reports that we are now finishing up in lots of different subjects. Uh, uh, now the question is... So the, all of this was done on a voluntary basis. How how can this be somehow institutionalized so that the state can count with scientific evidence for the decision making, and thereby hopefully have uh, make better decisions? Yes, it's very interesting. I think it's at Mike Hume uh, who talks about um, some of the issues around the, I guess, the model of diplomacy, model of change that, that is at the heart of, uh, I guess, the governance for uh, the COPs and, and other uh, initiatives like that. 
uh, the Kyoto uh, approach generally um, being based on some false uh, analogies in terms of maybe what, what was achieved with uh, the ozone uh, problem and so forth and suggesting that it's, it's not really the, the right structure, the right, right model um, to, to, to go forward. Did you see some shortcomings in, 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 in the, the, the structure of, of, of how it operates? I mean, you're talking about this problem that many countries are waiting for other countries to take action and the it seems the whatever the nationally determined contributions are, are way off uh what what would be necessary to limit warming to 1.5 and obviously countries are seem at the moment reluctant to step forward and and, and make more commitments um there's inevitably as you say some kind of disappointment even in in successful cops in terms of what expectations are and were and i know that um i think um the one of the a, a senior uh person from uh, greenpeace was saying that in, in the 25 years that they'd been a cop they'd never seen a bigger gap between what was happening within and without now i guess that's also a reflection of of how the mood has changed as you say within even a year and you know Greta Thunberg sunrise movement extinction rebellion climate the actual weather and so forth there's obviously significant momentum and there's been change but I guess within within the 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 COP itself was this evident that there was that there's a kind of disappointment as well Yes, absolutely. Now, um, there, there are two good things, though, <laughs> trying to be optimistic here. So um, at COP20, when, when we were moving towards Paris and everyone was expecting that there would be an agreement, at that point, someone, I, I don't really know who it was, but some very bright people who were thinking about this, this Paris agreement, with with we have to say it has a completely different structure than the Kyoto Protocol and 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 how we address the, the ozone hole and, and all of that. Huh? It, it it is it is different. So that that's that's that is a good thing. So they they invented this um, the role of the champion, yeah. And so the cops, apart from having a president, uh, they have a champion as well. And this champion is someone who is. Uh, from the country as well, and and this person is in charge of mobilizing all the rest of the world, the non-stake actors in the UNFCCC uh, language, which means so the private sector, civil society, the regions, the cities, the local governments, etc. And and uh, and it makes a lot of sense because I mean it makes a lot of sense. I mean I don't know if it was thought about. Is this a plan B? I mean if if countries are too slow to move, then we we have someone who can mobilize all this rest of society who who is actually very important to to mobilize and and it might be quicker. I don't know, but the the thing is that so there there was a lot of progress in that respect. And uh, to the point that actually the, the role of the champion was only set up to 2020. And they have in uh, uh, recognizing that the role uh, of the champion has been so important and so positive, they have extended the mandate for another five years. So in each of the next five 
COPs, there will be a champion, someone who will be in charge of mobilizing basically the rest of the world. And think about how critical this is now that the U.S. is trying to get out or, tr or doing all the um, movements to stepping out of the Paris Agreement. You, you can still have action with, uh, with the states and, and cities in the U.S., so, so that I think it's, for example, a very positive outcome, and it speaks about new ways of governance. So, 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 so the other positive um, outcome of this COP is a is a very slow uh, movement towards bringing together the climate change convention and the biodiversity one. Um, and I think that's very positive now that we know that climate change is affecting our biodiversity so strongly that we, we, we cannot continue to, to work uh, on these two aspects as, as being completely separate. So I would say that those are two uh, important little steps, uh, uh, positive steps forward that were um, achieved at this COP. Yes, yes. I, I, I think there's been some interesting research around uh, the relationship between scientific knowledge and values and attitudes to climate change, whether the, whether people, whether better information, the, the idea of a cognitive de deficit, that if people understood better what was actually happening, there'd be significantly more motivation, understanding, willingness to change and so forth. And some of the research seems to suggest that actually it's very much about values and less about actual levels of information and in fact sometimes the 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 what we might call the veering towards climate denialism are often very well informed actually or better informed maybe scientifically um than than others but actually it's really comes down to uh, an essential question at the heart of this about about values and people's values i mean it's also correlated i think between attitudes to uh, economics more right-wing and more left-wing more inter should we say more interventionist and less interventionist and so forth and i'm just wondering in that sense what is the the what you think the the, the changing or ongoing role of the scientist is in the sense that it's tremendously important uh, to understand to 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 you know get better insights and so forth and what's happening and to communicate as well uh and at the same time that's not enough. It's there is. Uh, it's 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 very important to to uh, find other ways to communicate. I guess and integrate it into stories, integrate it in in in, in I guess what they call thicker kind of contexts to uh, to try and, and 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 create change and 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 or motivate people to 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 you know to to start changing their behavior. Mm. Yes, I completely agree. Uh me coming from a physics background for a long time i i didn't understand how what are we doing or why are we not doing anything but we have all the facts right <laughs> so a very naive way of of understanding the world of like well you know i have the facts here i understand it hence i have to act right um and it's 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 clear that it's 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 not that easy and I, and i agree that it is more about values uh, than facts and but if i i say this a bit of laughing about myself here but i I, I, we, I think we still have a lot of scientists who build who 
who still sort of think that it is enough to to write papers and having the facts and having the evidence, right? And uh, that we so in that sense, I think this year has also been an important. Um, um, uh, we have learned a lot from from this year. Uh, I I don't know if I can actually answer your question, but I, I have this. Um, there's this paradox going on for me in particular, and it's that, so we have had the IPCC from actually from before the UNFCCC, right? It was the first IPCC um, report that actually led to, to, to having the Convention on Climate Change. And, and since the, IP, the IPCC reports have been actually very influential in the UNFCCC process, um but in a i don't know if but the the ipcc reports are um okay they are thorough they're robust uh, the, the the process has has improved etc but i would say the last three special reports of the ipcc the the special report on 1.5 degree of warming the special report on land and on oceans they are of a different <laughs> I would say, I don't know if it, the word is quality or relevance. Uh, I think in, in, a, in, in probably because they were produced between the different working groups. Uh, hence, they, in, in, in one report, they could, um, they could convey the whole complex structure uh, in that, that it, that is around climate change and, and deliver a message that is so, so relevant. So we have sort of a, an IPCC that has improved uh, enormously. And at the same time, none of the reports has been welcomed by the UNFCCC process. So science is becoming more relevant. Science is somehow understanding that it has to um, go a bit beyond of what they were doing in the last 30 years. And, and at the same time, uh, the countries are just don't want to hear about it. So it is. I, don't, I I'm not sure how how to understand this and and how to uh, uh, what is going to happen with this situation at this moment. I'm I'm now I'm involved in the in the in the full report of the sixth assessment cycle um, in working group one um, and. Uh, and 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 I think it, it is it is it is a very strange moment uh, to be doing this report because we we're doing it we feel that we're becoming more relevant the reports are being discussed a lot but they're not discussed where they should be discussed which is in in the realm of the of the convention and and taking action according to what the reports say. Yes, it's very interesting. I suppose as you get closer to the reality of, of the kinds of changes that are going to be necessary, people, then you start probably to see people putting the brakes on and things like that happening, uh, rather than the, the, the kinds of changes that are going to be necessary. I guess that's a, another interesting question. The degree to which a, a lot of time and energy has gone into, I guess, a pretty polarized situation to try and provide the evidence to convince people skeptics whatever you might call them and yet the time frame in which we need to implement 
decisions to take action is is getting shorter and shorter and there are unforeseen consequences of decisions that are made the kinds of changes how comfortable do you feel that we we know what to do and we're comfortable with the kinds of decisions that need to be made um I mean, we we just have to mobilize all of our society in a very very quick way, and the truth is that the, what the 1.5 report says, the special report, is um, unprecedented and unprecedented change at a scale uh, uh, that we have never done before, or something like that, right? Um, is it's it's true that 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 is the truth and and we and we have never done it before um i'm not sure we know how to do it we we know we know that we have the technology we have the, the so we have the technical feasibility for the transformation we have the we know the economics of it uh, all that part the technical part we we know but the social and political aspects of the transformation that we have to uh, that we that that we have to implement, we don't really know, and and that is something that is so so clear. And it came became to me so clear with what happened in Chile, uh, and and there are so many examples around the world that of wanting to implement the the technical aspects towards this transformation and then people fighting back because uh, they haven't been asked basically to to um to agree with this um it's a govern uh, it's a huge governance question as well isn't it exactly it is a huge governance question and then it has and and it would be a lot easier if if we share values if, if we share values, then you will be able to convince people, and you will be able to to build those governance structures that that are probably not centralized anymore. You know, um, some of them will be, other will be completely decentralized, other will be um, polycentric. You know, like at different levels, uh, um, giving people a lot more flexible. They have to be flexible. Um, because it's we're talking about the next thirty years of yeah of these unprecedented changes. Um, yes, I think it's very interesting, and I know I don't know whether you're familiar with um, you probably are Steve Steve Rayner uh, and some of the work he's done. Very interesting looking at governance and suggesting that there's th at least three sets of uh, clusters of values you could talk about, which which need to somehow be involved. He's suggesting rather than trying to change people's values is trying to craft governance mechanisms that take into account and meet people's values, existing values, one which might be more market-oriented, one which might be um, more bureaucratic, and one which one set of values which might be more egalitarian. And he's looked at mixed governance systems that bring together elements of each of those and therefore, different parties, different sets of values can be incorporated and included. But this work on values just seems to be tremendously important, working 
you know where people are today and and we i mean i would i guess the, the traditional scientists working on climate change sort of from my background would i mean i don't know two years ago i would have never thought i, w I would have to be talking about values but i, I just mentioned to you that uh, so i'm i'm coordinating lead author of Chapter one, which is the context and framing chapter for the working group one um, contribution to the six assessment report. Uh, that's a very long title. <laughs> What's that about? And uh, it's so for the next IPCC report, working group one, which is the physical science basis. In right. chapter one, we will we will have a box. We will actually be talking about values in climate science. So. And that's that's something that I mean. A couple of years ago, you would have never thought. I mean, maybe working group two, who who, who talks about impacts and vulnerability and people, they they might be talking about values. But working group one, we talk about models and projections. But we are <laughs> we are we are now uh, we are including text on on perceptions, on values, on storylines, like different ways of communicating science, etc. So. Um, I mean, even for 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 us, we have been definitely being um, being pushed outside of our comfort zone of our of the traditional uh, areas of expertise that scientists, the, the the typical working group one IPCC scientist has, and I think that that's very interesting. Very interesting. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, can you talk a little bit about this question of adaptation? versus mitigation I, I know it's not versus actually and they're all you know that we need to be uh, having lots of different approaches at the same time there's been a lot of focus on mitigation adaptation seems to be tremendously important yet has maybe arguably been neglected to some extent i don't know whether what what, what you think about 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 that generally yeah okay i hear here i'm definitely not not an expert I have learned a lot this year because one of the of the tables that we coordinated is, of course, was on adaptation. Um, yes, so traditionally, um, the 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 two big pillars about addressing climate change. You know, you have to address the causes of climate change and that's mitigation, but also the the impacts of climate change and that's adaptation. Uh, adaptation always has been sort of the poor brother or sister of of the two of them. Um, I guess, I guess because um, for, for a number of reasons, I guess for once it's that we, until very recently, we kind of thought that, well, we will have to adapt at some point in the future, right? We were, climate change until very recently was still was something that was occurring in the, in the future. Uh, and it's, and it has that I think that has dramatically changed, and and now even rich countries uh, are seeing that they need to to adapt to the consequences now. But but then, be, because they are so specific to locally specific, I guess it's also different to quantify them and having kind of um, metrics and indicators of advancement. So it's all more, I guess, more qualitative than quantitative. And I guess um, we are always better or, well, why did I say we? I mean, the, the physical scientists are, are, of course, much better with <laughs> with dealing with quantitative uh, 
um, subjects rather than and and maybe we haven't given the social scientists uh, enough space here to um, and and maybe has been a research gap as well I don't know um, yes I think what you're talking about is more holistic more cross-disciplinary approaches which are growing and are tremendously important I think um, what what I found striking was the the idea that what we do today won't impact the climate system for possibly, I don't know, 40, 50 years. That idea that it's decades into the future, really, it makes it's a, it's quite a challenging proposition to get to think about. But also in terms of strategies, in terms of, you know, uh, thinking about things like carbon sinks. I know geoengineering has been, you know, still still around and growing, uh, getting growing attention. Um but uh, in Chile, I know there's been there's 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 been new initiatives. In Patagonia, for example. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, we have been fortunate in Chile that so so we we don't have fossil fuels basically, which was uh, which was really terrible for a long time, because our energy was very expensive because we had to import all of that. Um, and uh, and we had lots of hydropower, but it has increasingly decreases um, his share in, in in our energy matrix as well because of a really long ongoing drought as well. Um, but that at, and then at some point, uh, all our renewable energy um, potential uh, started to become a reality just not not only a potential but a reality uh, and and that has been incredibly positive because it has so many co-benefits with i mean with prices with the cleaner cities with i mean with the, so that so that part of the of addressing climate change has been very positive that's why in general in chile um it has been easy to convince people that we can be carbon neutral and that it would be very good as well for us to be carbon neutral because we will have to increase the share of renewable energies and and, and that has a, still in that in this traditional way still thinking about growth uh, uh, it can be kind of easily being sell to um, yes this question of, of, of more tangible projects which have economic benefits to the local community to the to the, the country and you know biting off at that size is 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 a successful strategy because as you say people can can understand the benefits they can see 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 what see the benefits and of course the you know the economics have changed pretty uh, dramatically and are continuing to in in, in, in terms of renewable energy but um, that's that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. It seems that from the very earliest days that the climate predictions, the predictions of carbon, uh, the impact of carbon dioxide on temperature and so forth, has been pretty robust over over quite some time. What and 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 what we've seen has 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 you know met the the expectations. On the other hand, the impact of the, 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 these changes have been much greater than people expected. I'm just wondering, does that what that might suggest, either in terms of 
areas that we need to research from a scientific perspective or just generally what your thoughts might be on that yeah i mean i mean exactly what you just said is is one of i would say the main main conclusions uh, from the ipcc report so actually in my chapter that's where we, you can find like how have previous projections uh, compared to what has actually happened and yes our projections have always been actually uh, quite good quite robust um but but we have underestimated the impact uh, in 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 that acknowledgement uh, it's 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 quite important for us because basically yeah what they're saying as we as climate scientists we have been being very conservative actually with what would happen uh, and 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 that 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 has to make us to rethink the way we we are looking at impacts and and you will see in the next report a lot more emphasis not in the median changes but on on the tails you know on the tails that are maybe improbable but have high high impacts and that's where we have to pay a lot more attention to when we when we analyze our projections when we analyze basically yeah look like where is it that the impacts could be highest where are the most vulnerable communities where is the huge exposures um paying a lot more attention to that um to, to that um types of of research or questions i think that's that's we're a bit in in depth uh, uh, around those and we will have to focus What's next for you? What, 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 what are you? what are you working on? What kind of research projects? <laughs> uh, no, I need, I need a holiday first. <laughs> Before. No, I think, no, this, I mean, the, I, I've learned so much this year. I mean, so I actually, I never mentioned the, 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 the seven, uh, topics that we addressed, but it was mitigation, adaptation, sort of transversal, and then sectorially it was water, biodiversity, cities, oceans, and cryosphere. So I I learned a lot about all these seven topics, in particular biodiversity, which is something that I had, uh, of course, less idea, uh, and 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 there's. Uh, there's just so many ideas of things that we have to uh, pursue and, and publish and uh, that it's, yeah, it's, it's actually quite exciting to, to start to have a little bit of time to reflect first uh, and then to pursue all of these uh, uh, super interesting um, projects that were initiated this year, lots of people that I met as well, uh, etc. So, so yeah, I, I I can't even start thinking about <laughs> all of it. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much, Maisa. Thank you for your time today. The great work and dedication and commitment and hard work on the cops, not not least. Um, and uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time. And best uh, of luck with your ongoing. Uh, wish you the best with your ongoing research. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. I hope you found it interesting. It would be great if you could leave a review and share the podcast on social media. 
You can sign up at iTunes to make sure you don't miss any future episodes.